anybody, if you're older here tonight, and you're in the minority probably, but if you're older, did you at Sunday school ever sing, Rejoice in the Lord always? Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. Again I say. Rejoice. Rejoice. Again I say. Come on. Come on. Well done. I mean, that is Bible school in a nutshell, isn't it? Because that is, of course, quoting directly from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Paul's making a real point about it. Now, sometimes Christian theory and Christian practice seem at odds. So we know that song, Rejoice in the Lord always. How challenging is it in practice to rejoice in the Lord always? I mean, it's not challenging if you're on holiday and the sun's shining, which probably means you're abroad. It's not it's not challenging to rejoice in the Lord when life is good. But how challenging is it to rejoice in the Lord when things are really tough? When you are facing, for instance, serious illness. And there are a number of people in our midst, and some people not here tonight, but we, we know people facing really serious illness. Or what about if you are facing threat or uh, um, personal relational challenges what what if your marriage is on the rocks or what happens if you're you know struggling financially how easy is it to rejoice in the lord always how, how, how many people you know have thought hmm great theory tricky to put into practice anyone okay please now the good thing about this chapter tonight is it's something which is rooted in practice this is what paul says in um verse nine of chapter four he says Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So we're going to look at some verses from Philippians and we're going to think about how Paul put these things into practice. So thinking, actually, these things aren't too hard for us. How, how is it possible to make our own? So I'm going to read to you from the, um, the start of uh, Philippians chapter 1, chapter 4, verse 1, and um, we'll, we'll go through the first 13 verses. You know, therefore, my brothers, when I, when I read my brothers, I, it, the Greek word actually can stand for brothers and sisters. But for me, I always kind of think of a northern trade union. Therefore, my brothers, is what I want to say. Uh, but therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. There's some very memorable, powerful verses there. It's worth going away and, and reading for yourselves. But let's start with just these opening verses about um, Euodia and Syntyche falling out. Do you know that Christians can fall out with one another? And sometimes they fall out with one another because, the, the, well, there's all kinds of reasons why we fall out with one another. Honestly, having a human nature means we can fall out with anybody, I think, sometimes. But sometimes Christians fall out because they care passionately about stuff. That can happen with individuals. It can even happen with groups. So at the moment, one of the big divides in the church in the UK is about people who care passionately about LGBTQIA issues, one way or the other. There are some people who care really passionately about inclusion and justice and, and, and kind of creating a safe place for everybody and anybody to belong and, and not judging. And there are other people who care really passionately about what their tradition and their understanding of Scripture says and feels like if, if we really need to hold on to, to gospel truth. And honestly, if those two sides are both convinced that this is really passionately important, then there's scope for real division, isn't there? Because they both care. It's not because they're bad people. It's because they care about people. They care about their understanding of truth. So that's a challenge, isn't it? And of course, individual Christians can fall out in similar ways. Maybe these two, two women who are in disagreement are just so, something to do with the mission. Maybe. It, 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 Paul talks about them as lo loyal yoke fellows who've contended with the gospel. They're good women. How do we solve these things? You know, Paul experience falling out with another Christian. In Acts chapter 15, we read at the end of that chapter how Paul and Barnabas, who were good friends, who were colleagues, where Barnabas had really helped Paul find his place in the Christian church, had really helped his inclusion, and had been with him on missionary journeys. They both sent out from the church in Antioch. They fell out, and they fell out because they both cared passionately about something. Barnabas cared really passionately about trying to include a young guy called John Mark who'd let them down in the past and been on a mission trip and backed out of it. But he said, it's so important to give this guy a second chance. We need to bring him with us. And Paul cared so passionately about the mission and was really worried that it could be destabilized. He said, we can't take John Mark with us. It says they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted comfortably. And Barnabas went off with Mark and Paul went off with Silas. And you might think that is the end of the story because we don't 
hear about Barnabas again in the book of Acts. Maybe they're just divided. The good news is that we have, through the letters of Paul, real um, insights to how reconciliation happened. In fact, so much recon reconciliation that Paul writes in really positive and affirmative ways about Barnabas and even says about Mark how useful he is to him. So there's been a journey where they've been reconciled, so much so that Mark, rather than being someone that Paul has shunned, is now a key worker alongside Paul. And so when, when Paul says, be reconciled, or help these women reconcile, it's, he knows it's not impossible, because he's done it himself. And, but he also says, maybe sometimes in reconciliation, we need the help of the church community. God, come and help these guys. Help them, get some, help them find the mind of Christ, because that's the basis of unity, isn't it? The mind of Christ. You know, Every now and then, I, I, I get upset with people. And the, the challenge I find is, when I want to withdraw and be really hard-hearted, God doesn't let me get away with it. Because the great prayer that Jesus prays in John 17 is that we might be one, as he and the Father are one. And he prays it a lot. He prays it for unity. It's a priority for God. And so I read a passage like John 17. I read a passage like this says, it's not good enough for me to kind of be content with differences. I've got to work for unity and, and love and reconciliation. And sometimes I need the help of my brothers and sisters to do that. And sometimes I do. You know, sometimes I need to process with members of the church family. I've been doing that a little bit this week, just doing some processing. Thing. Okay, so what's going on there? But to find that goal of unity, Paul says, you can do it. I've done it. Do it and help one another to do it. Okay, then he goes on to says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. It's a kind of a truly, truly moment. You know, every now and then Jesus says, truly, truly, verily, verily, the King James Version said, truly, truly. It's really important, so I'm going to say it twice. And Paul, it's really important. I'm saying, I'm emphasizing it. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, is rejoicing in the Lord denial? You know, we're aware that denial is a defense mechanism. We don't want to engage with, with uh, you know, you know, um, you know, praise the Lord for my healing when you're carrying lots of sickness in your body. Have you ever had that sort of, you know, you don't acknowledge what's going on. Because I've got to rejoice in the Lord always. And if I, if, I, if I don't, then somehow I'm kind of letting the enemy in or I'm letting God down. And, and Paul's not saying that. He's not saying that at all. He's not talking about rejoicing in things that we shouldn't rejoice at. But he's talking about rejoicing in the Lord in circumstances that may not be the will of God, that may not be good. But in those, how can I find a place of rejoicing? So if it's not about denial, well, how can we actually rejoice in the Lord? What would it look like? I mean, what would it look like for you if you're in physical pain or danger to rejoice in the Lord? Well, the good news is Paul gives, in his own history in Philippi, a great example of what it looks like to rejoice in the Lord. If you go to um, Acts chapter 16, um, and the book of Acts is, is, if you like, the narrative that supports this letter. Acts chapter 16 describes Paul going to the city of Philippi, which was a Roman colony, and he went there by supernatural guidance. He had a vision of a man from Macedonia, come over and help us. So he um, and his team arrived in Philippi. They, they um, they met a, uh, a woman um, called Lydia, who was at a place of worship by the river. 
She invited her to the home. They, she became a Christian. They established a church in her home. And as they were starting that early church, um, there was a, a slave girl who had a gift of divination. And she made a lot of money for her owners. And she encountered Paul and kept crying out, you know, these are the servants of the Most High God. And Paul Frederick got so, came to a point where he just turned around and cast the demon out of the woman. And she couldn't divine anymore. So he kind of sport the money-making racket. And um, money gets, you know, dealing with the finances gets people into trouble. And uh, Paul was actually, the owners of that slave girl, just made sure that he ended up flogged and put into prison. And so in Acts 16, we, we find that Paul and Silas, they've been beaten with rods. Their backs are raw and open. They're in stocks in a cell in a prison in Greece. And it's 40, no, no. I mean, there's not even a kebab or anything like that. There, there they are. And um, what do we find them doing? We, we find them worshipping, singing songs and praying. What they're doing is rejoicing in the Lord. And they're not rejoicing that they've been put in prison, but they are rejoicing that they are in God's hands. They trust God. They know that this isn't an accident that they're in Philippi. God has led them as far as he's still going to lead them. So there they're rejoicing. And lo and behold, there's an earthquake. And their chains fall off. And the jailer comes in. What's going on? Do I need to kill myself? Because all my prisoners have escaped. And, and Paul leads him and his family to faith. And they, they wounds get washed. And, they, and it's a happy ending. You can read it in Acts 16. But Paul is saying, I know what it's like to rejoice in the Lord. And I've done it. And you've seen that. You, that story's famous, isn't it? And people understand that. So here's a church that's probably going through difficulties and challenges and persecution. But Paul says, actually, rejoice in the Lord. You can do that. I love the corollary, though. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Because sometimes I think as Christians, our rejoicing in the Lord can be a bit brash. You know, it can be a bit kind of triumphalistic, which can put walls up to people. But the steady rejoicing in the Lord, the steady love and trust in God that Paul demonstrates is so powerful. And I, I don't know whether you've been around people in, in big trouble who've rejoiced in the Lord. Perhaps people failing, facing a terminal diagnosis. I don't know if you can remember, just a, a, a maybe four years ago, um, where we had Rosemary Johnson on the stage here. And was anyone there at that, at, that, at that event? It's one of the most moving events at church I can remember. And, and Rosemary, who'd been a great servant of our church and was in her 60s, and had terminal cancer, was on the stage here talking about Jesus and giving us a pep talk as a church. You can find it on YouTube, actually. Uh, it's worth watching. She was talking about, um, you know, how important it was as a church that we made space for people who are brand new and, and that we didn't get into little cliques and that, we, and that we, we made God our number one and we devoted ourselves to him. And she says, you know, and I'm coming to the end of my life. I've perhaps got two weeks left to live. And she said, when you come to the, near the finish line, you don't slow down, you speed up. And what she was doing there was she was rejoicing in the Lord. She wasn't rejoicing that she was about to die because actually she didn't want to. She wasn't rejoicing that she was going to leave her three daughters and not see them perhaps have their own kids and their own families. She wasn't rejoicing that she is carrying two sorts of cancer and wondering which one was going to kill her first. 
but she was rejoicing that her life was in God's hand. And her testimony of rejoicing in the Lord was incredibly powerful, incredibly memorable. And I've got that phrase in my mind all the time. When you get near the finish line, speed up. So I want to check that out. So, um, you know, sometimes rejoicing in the Lord is a spiritual issue. For Job it was. If you know the story of Job, you'll see in the background story, the kind of the worldview is Job's suffering. Behind his suffering is a spiritual force of evil called Satan. He doesn't know that. Everybody says, well, you should just curse God and die. But Job says, I'm not going to do that. And he keeps calling out to God. And actually, there's a spiritual battle because the enemy of our souls would like to make us suffer and then blame God. That's what happens in Job, isn't it? But we need to be people who, like Job, are devoted and remember that God is good all the time and trust him that at the end of the day, he will have the last word. And that is how we want to do life. At the end of the day, our last word is with God's. Third thing. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The antidote to anxiety, Paul suggests, is prayer. Now, I know that I've been in times when I've been so anxious about a situation that I don't want to pray about it because I don't want to think about it. Has anyone ever been been in that situation? Well, that is there. I just don't want to think about it, so I'm not going to pray about it. Honest, honestly, that's, that's, that, that has been me at times. But really, the, the, the better response is to push into that anxiety and say, I am anxious about this. This is the very stuff of prayer. This isn't to be afraid. I need to pray about my anxiety. If what I'm thinking about is making me anxious, well, where does my anxiety come from? And you probably know, because I've said it often, that Psalm 139, which finishes, Search me, O God. Know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me by ways everlasting. is a way of life for, for me to embrace, for us to embrace. So when we're anxious, where is it coming from and why? Is it ultimately about the situation or is it because behind the situation we don't actually fully trust that God will have the last word? Of course, it's okay to be anxious if you're about to go into an operation and have surgery. Of course, it's okay to be anxious if you're going to have a job interview and a lot. You know, that, that's, that's fine. But is there a trust in God behind that, which means whatever happens, I'm going to give that to God and I'm going to walk through whatever the outcome is. And, and actually, that's how we have to live. And, and actually, with prayer, our prayer and the prayers of others, we can do that. Um, I can, I, there's times in, in, in my life, I can remember a time when um, I was running the Methodist Centre in inner city Bristol and I was being physically threatened by um, somebody who was trying to, it's a, a kind of pimp, who was trying to get his girlfriend into a, a safe house. And, and um, it was a bit scary, really, you know, and, and I was aware of the, the pressure of anxiety. And I, got, I got Robin Pound to pray for me. It was really helpful. And in everything, bringing our prayers... If we're struggling not to have anxious thoughts, to get other people to pray with us 
is really helpful because this is a corporate letter to a church, isn't it? It's not just about me and my personal anxiety. Let's share our burdens. Let's pray with one another. But also ourselves, let us bring our prayers to God and say, God, I'm going to put that in your hand. And there's a twofold activity here, isn't there, about getting rid of anxiety. It's, first of all, let's give it to God. Let's process it. Let's see where our anxiety is coming from. Let's choose to trust him. And then let's not leave a vacuum, a blank, but let's fill our minds and imaginations with good things. And that's what Paul goes on to say. You know, leave the stuff with God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. And then whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's love, think about these things. Fill your heart with good things. And yet we, we can catastrophize. There's plenty of things out there that can make us afraid. And I, I, you know, I, I have a little battle on about watching the news. Because my first default when I wake up in the morning is, well, what's happening in Ukraine? You know, what's gone on in the night? What's happened in the world? But I really try to make my first default in the morning before any of that stuff to pray and read the Bible and let a framework of um, the perspective of the kingdom of God and the reality of the heavenly be the backdrop of our understanding and relating to the world. And, and I, I, I can, like all of us can, we, we, we can, we've got a choice about what we do with our thinking. Thoughts are not just, I mean, things do sleet into our minds, but we can choose to accept or reject thoughts. And we can choose to think about good things. And, and, and I've got some go-to things that I've often used. And sometimes it's just a great Christian book or an inspiring book. It could be Lord of the Rings. That's inspiring, isn't it? There's hope there. Frodo, he did it. If Frodo can do it, we can do it, right? Well, that's a good thing to think about. But there's lots of good things we can think about. And let's, let's take this. Honestly, that's part of the stuff. Um, but, you know, trying to think positively has other practical things. This is one of my um, little personal tips. When I'm anxious about what someone thinks about me, can I choose to believe the best motivation rather than the worst? It's a little practical thing. Some people will are so hardwired that they're hardwired for rejection. They're hardwired for being judged or criticized. You know, they'll 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 come away from a party and say, Oh I was too loud <laughs> or people didn't really like me, whatever. Or or we can yeah, I haven't heard from so and so or they haven't responded to my email or my text. They hate me. Has anyone ever felt like that? I think it's better to think they're busy. Or <laughs> they haven't seen it. Think the best motivation for people's behavior towards you rather than the worst. It really helps. Even if you're wrong, it helps. You'll be more cheerful. But usually, usually you're catastrophizing. You're thinking the worst where actually it's better than that. Does that make sense? Let's, let's choose to believe the best about other people's motivations towards us. And, and finally, um, as I come into land... Rejoice in the Lord, always. Rejoicing most easily happens when we feel loved and cared for. Verse 10 says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, you had no opportunity to show it. 
and I thought you didn't love me. But actually, you did. Um, no. Um, you know, and Paul, he, he goes on from that verse to say, you know, I can be content with, in all circumstances, I don't really need the gifts because I'm okay with God. I've learned the secret of being content because I'm, I'm someone who learns to rejoice in the Lord. But when you showed your care for me, I rejoiced. And do you know what? We can, by our care for one another, demonstrate the love of God to one another and be his representation in hard times. And we can help one another rejoice in the Lord because we're the Lord's agents bringing love, comfort, and kindness to people. You know, every now and then, um, I've had a worry, an anxiety. I've said before, from time to time, I've had worries about money. And um, it's amazing how, uh, how God has spoken to me in a way that's been really clear that he's going to provide for my needs and I shouldn't worry about money. But from time to time, human beings have in really significant ways at really appropriate times blessed me by being very generous to me. And it's helped me rejoice in the Lord. And of course, I'm grateful to them. But I see the Lord's hand in it, but they have been God's hands and eyes and ears for me. They've seen my need. They've, their hearts have gone out to me and they've cared for me. That's, that's a wonderful thing. And it does a, there's a double blessing because I'm grateful for them, but I'm grateful to the Lord. I really am. And that's just one example of the way that we can help one another rejoice in the Lord. Because when we show the love of God in practical ways, and care for people, it helps people rejoice. Does that make sense? So we're going to come into land. Um, I'm going to finish, actually, by praying. I'm going to hand back to Rachel, and she will tell us how we're going to do prayer ministry. But I suspect that for some people here tonight, it's likely that when I said, when you're anxious, getting prayer from other people is wise, that that's a good thing to do. And that today we might want to see some prayers answered and some strongholds of fear over people's minds broken or we might want to see some reconciliation happen or a whole range of stuff we might want to do do all of that around prayer ministry but tonight I want to pray for some people who might be vulnerable in our community I want to pray for for and I encourage you all to keep praying for David and Freya Lawrence as um, David is going to be starting radiotherapy for the uh, site of the brain tumor that's been operated. I, I want to invite you to pray for a young woman in our church called Becky Germain, who's currently having treatment for esophageal cancer, and she's a young mum. I want to ask you to pray for people in your own hearts and minds in our community. I want to pray for, ask you to pray for people who are going to be worried and anxious about what September brings. So I'm going to pray, and um, you can add your own prayers and then we'll, we'll go back into worship and ministry to finish. Father God, to, tonight we thank you that you're a God of all comfort and the lover of our souls. And Father God, thank you that you tell us to comfort one another with the comfort we've received from you. 
And we want to pray, Lord God, and ask that our prayers would bring comfort as we partner with your Holy Spirit. Just tonight, I pray for, for David and Freya. And I pray, Lord God, that you deliver them from evil, from the shadow that's fallen over their lives. And that you'd bring profound well-being and healing to David. We pray, Lord God, that you would use the radiotherapy that he's receiving to kill cancer cells in his body. But we also pray, Lord God, that you supernaturally intervene in his life and bring your deliverance. We pray tonight, Lord God, for Becky. I want to pray, Lord, that as she's going through unpleasant treatment right now, you'd bless her and lift her out of a, a miry clay, set her feet on a rock. I want to pray, Lord God, for people who are anxious about their future and their families tonight. I want to pray for people who are anxious about starting a new situation at university or in college. I pray, Lord, you'd help them to walk with you in that one. And Lord God, you know there are massive anxieties in the world for those people actually facing the fear of death in Ukraine or Russia or so many nations, the fear of persecution, hostility. Lord, for your church around the world, your suffering church, your persecuted church, help them to rejoice in the Lord always. And in the face of suffering, to have a gentleness that speaks of a trusted God that transcends understanding. And just here in this room tonight, Lord God, presence yourself by your Holy Spirit. Be with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.